Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast. The EU-funded Wild Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage wildhealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Richard Goreski, an assistant professor at the St. Cyril and Methodius University in Skopje, Macedonia. His talk is centered on machine learning applications in wearable computing such as fault detection and stress recognition. Let's dive in. So my, my idea today is to talk about wearable computing and its machine learning applications. So, so it's a quite broad topic. I will not go into details. I'll mention a lot of things, but I'll not go into details. So it will be kind of overview of the landscape of the wearable computing and its machine learning applications. Okay. So most of the studies that I will talk about today, uh, I've been personally involved in. There are a few that I'll mention which are done by others. Uh, so I'll, I'll first start with the wearable computing. What is wearable computing? What's machine learning? Briefly. Then most of my talk will be on activity recognition, and you will see why it is so important. Then I'll talk about fault detection, energy expenditure estimation, and I'll finish with recognizing arousal, stress, violence, facial expressions, and, and similar. So uh, let's first put the wearable computing context. So we have, let's say, well-established research areas such as artificial intelligence, sensing, human-computer interaction, mobile and distributed computing. Of course, they, they interconnect. It's not like they're on a separate island. But then we have one area which is called ambient intelligence. But this kind of uh, uh, title, ambient intelligence, never got its it, it attention. So it's not that popular in, in, in the research community. Ubiquitous computing on the other side, it's, it's much more popular and it's uh, more used in, in, in the research community. And it's kind of similar to, to ambient intelligence. Even more pervasive computing is another term that, that is uh, very often used in when we are talking about sensors, artificial intelligence, intelligence, human computer interaction and, and similar. And on top of it, I would say it's a, it's the wearable computing. So wearable, the name itself says wearable devices. So it, it the basis or the, the input source for wearable computing are wearable devices which are recording something with, with their sensors. So all these devices that you can see on the slide, smartphone is a typical and probably the most uh, uh, commonly used device for wearable computing. Smartwatch is, is quite popular, so smart wristbands, smart rings or, or or similar. So what makes all these devices smart when we say, say smartphone or a smartwatch or and similar? The things that make these devices smart are actually their sensors. So they have a lot of sensors. On this slide, you can see on the top the a typical smartphone that we all have in our pockets or on, on our desks. Uh, it has dozens of uh, different sensors. It, it can measure lots of different things, but the sensor data usually looks like this graph on, on the on the right. So th this is an accelerometer sensor, and I'll talk a, a, a lot about accelerometer sensor. But this signal by itself, it is not that informative. So this raw data, raw sensor data, has to be somehow uh, transformed into some meaningful uh, data that can provide some service potentially to the user. That's the final goal, to, to, to ease our, our lives, right? So, for example, we are all aware that the smartphone recognizes activities. How does the, the smartphone recognize these activities? One of the sensors that is usually used for activity recognition is accelerometer. So out of this data, out of this raw sensor data, time series data, how to extract uh, that, I don't know, this is walking, for example. So uh, during this presentation, I hope that you will learn how to do it or, or not learn, but at least you will be aware how, how, it's, how it's usually done. Uh, yeah, my assumption was that there will be people that will not know what is machine learning. So one minute about machine learning. Most famous and successful field of the 
artificial intelligence uh, area. So the, the point with machine learning is how to learn from data, from, from lots of lots of data, how to identify some patterns which are difficult to identify by, by, by a human. So, and, and the final goal is to extract this useful, interesting knowledge, which is not known before. So that the model should be valid, should be novel, should be useful, and to some extent, let's say, understandable. So at least to understand the decisions uh, that, I don't know, it says this kind of activity or that kind of activity. So the idea is how, how to create these machine learning models out of data. So this table that you will see here is the basis of for, for machine learning, for su supervised, let's say, machine learning. Here, this is a typical uh, table that I'm usually using or we are usually using when we are teaching students about machine learning. So, so you have actually, it's a simple table, which is an input to a machine learning model, uh, to machine learning algorithm that will learn a model out of this table. So th this is, I don't know, a bank loan application example. Uh, the, the final col column, for example, is the class. Should, should, should the bank give loan to the user or not? All these here are called features or characteristics of that, in this case, the, the user. And these features are actually where the, this machine learning field gets interested or where good machine learning engineers will be better compared to, to, to others. Th this, these features are usually not, not given. So you should be able, uh, as an expert and machine learning engineer, to find and extract these most useful features regarding your problem. So domain expertise is usually also needed in, in this process, feature extraction process. Once you have this table, it's easy. So it, I mean, it's, it's, it's super easy. You, you will find, uh, you will use Python library, a scikit-learn or whatever, and you will say, okay, this is the data, learn, learn, please learn a model. And in, in a few seconds, you will have a machine learning model. Then of course you will evaluate, you will draw some graphs, you will investigate the errors, but this table is really the, uh, the, the, the basis of, of a machine learning model. At the end of the day, the model can be as simple as this here. So here, all the skeptics about uh, machine learning will say, yeah, if it's, it, it's if then else rules. It, I mean, if, if they are simple enough, you do not need machine learning, but usually they are so complex. So you need machine learning to find those, those, those patterns. Okay, uh, let's continue with, with the activity recognition. So I'll talk about classical machine learning approach, how to get this table, famous table that I mentioned earlier, some hybrid machine learning approaches, deep learning approaches, some challenges. And at the end, I'll talk about uh, some interesting applications uh, about eating detection and uh, SHL transportation dataset. So activity recognition, the idea is to recognize the activities of the user of the person, right? So we have the smartphone that recognizes the activity. It's a known phenomenon. So the, to recognize that, I don't know, during the day today, I, I was walking for uh, one hour, which is great if, if I'm uh, doing that. And then, I don't know, I was sleeping for uh, eight hours. Then I was uh, sitting for usually eight hours or, or whatever. So to recognize the daily, the daily activities. So how to do it? How can a wristband or a smartwatch or a smartphone recognize these, these, these activities? Usually it's a, machine, uh, it's a machine learning model that uses accelerometer data. Accelerometer is a sensor which is uh, very famous these days. And you, you cannot find us, I mean, most of the smart devices that we usually, or these wearable devices that we're using have accelerometer inside. So the, the phone even has two or three accelerometers inside uh each of them dedicated for for something uh one of them is for for recognizing activities movements and, and uh, similar so the accelerometer is actually the the sensor that recognizes when the, the orientation of your phone so when you want to rotate the 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 the, the picture that you took in a landscape or uh, similar uh, then this is the accelerometer that is recognizing uh the acceleration so in this case, actually, it recognizes where is the Earth's gravity. So when you rotate the phone, it will detect, and then you can create a simple if-then-else rules at the end, which will say, aha, now the phone is in its uh, in, uh, 
it, it is in a, the phone is uh, in a landscape mode, for example. So it measures the device's accelerations, also the, the, the gravity of the, of the earth. And this allows, for example, this is a typical signal that you will see from accelerometer. So you can see a walking, so a lot, quite a lot of movements, some going down, going down or a transition, and then lying. As, as you can see, it, it's still lying. And the Z axis, for example, here has the gravity of the of the uh, 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 the, the gravitational component. So as, as you can see, it's a trig trigonometry. It's a linear a linear algebra. So if you have a good basis with linear al algebra, you can easily work and play with this kind of kind of data so the idea is how from this signal here to recognize that i don't know the first 10 seconds are walking then transition and then the next seconds 10 seconds are lying okay so this shows a classical machine learning pipeline for for activity recognition so we have the data set so collect data collection for activity recognition and also for wearable computing is is a problem by itself so I'll explain later how do we collect data. But the idea is you collect data and so somehow it is annotated. I don't know that the person is walking here, transition down, sitting, trans uh, uh, do, do you see my mouse movement of the mouse cursor? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, so this is, input to the machine learning pipeline. So usually there is a data pre-processing, some filtering done on, on, on this signal. Then you usually segment the data on, I don't know, one second or two second intervals. And on, on these seconds, you extract features. So you extract, extract let's say, hundreds of features. We'll, we'll see what kind of features. And then you put them in a machine learning model and this classification model actually will recognize the, the activity. So every second, it can recognize the activity or every two seconds it can recognize the, the activity. So this is a typical machine learning pipeline. Uh, I'll, I'll go through the steps one by one. Uh, yeah, data collection. So this is me wearing, I don't know, this was 10 years ago or something like that at the Joseph Stefan Institute where I did my master's and, and PhD, wearing this super wiry equipment of accelerometers. So this was 10 years ago. Uh, this Bluetooth uh, wireless sensors were not that, that popular. So th these yellow marks are different accelerometers and I was performing some activities in this room, which was my office for, for the first two years. And there was another person sitting here, which was clicking, okay, now the person is walking, now the person is sitting, now the person is uh, lying. And these were the annotations. And, and this is not perfect, but it's, it's good enough. So on the transitions, you, you might miss a little bit, but in general, you, you will collect a good, good data set. Uh, okay, so the segmentation part. Uh, this is a slide that I teach my students about some sensor data. So there, there is a quiz question here, but I'll, I'll not ask. Uh, so this is, for example, non-overlapping sliding window. And on the right side, you can see an overlapping sliding window. So for example, this, it, it's a parameter. You choose how big this window should be. For example, one second. And in this one second, you take this one second of data, which is, I don't know, 50 data samples of, or 100 data samples, it depends on the, on the sampling frequency. And you, you, you calculate features out of this window. So each window is a feature vector. So what kind of features? For example, you can imagine that the red lines are the, the window, right? So you can calculate the mean value of the acceleration, the standard deviation, the root mean square, and lots of different statistical features. Actually, today you have a lot of libraries that can extract this kind of features. TS Fresh, for example, is one of them. You just give a segment and it gives you back hundreds of, of different features. Uh, and at the end, you end up with this kind of feature vectors, this famous machine learning table. Once you get this table, then it's easy, or let's say it's more interesting to play with different machine learning algorithms. And then you, you generate this kind of gra graph graphs that, I don't know, show different comparisons. So 
where you discuss your results and, and, and similar. So the, the, the trick is how to end up with a good feature vector table. Uh, so for example, this is one of my first studies that I did for activity recognition. And each of these bars actually shows different sensor combinations. So as I showed you, we, we, we have six different sensors. So for example, tie left, tie right, ankle left, chest, ankle right, uh, waist. And as you can see, if you, if you use them individually, that the waist is, is the best performing. If you combine them by two, then the chest and the tie left is the best performing and, and so on. So the idea of this graph is how to combine which combinations are better and, and similar. So this was one of the early studies that we did in 2010 and it was published in 2011. And this paper actually has quite a good number of citations, which, which is interesting. So my, my first conference paper has the most citation, citations uh, of all of my papers. Uh, which, and it, 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 it is a first one, so it's not a great one, but it's, it's a, it tells a nice story. Uh, then what these kind of gra graphs are also quite commonly used in uh, activity. So each of the activities, how good is recognized. So this will be the recall value for each of the activities. So you can see lying activities is, is quite good to recognize. Standing, uh, going down is not that good. Sitting, sit on the ground is, yeah, 50-50. So these smaller ones, transitions, which are do not have a lot of instances, are uh, not that well recognized. Uh, another important thing here is that usually when you when you evaluate uh, activity recognition model, you use this famous technique, leave one person out. So what, what does that mean? That means that you if you have 10 people, data collected from 10 people. So 10 people were walking around and you were recording data. When you train the model, you, you actually train on the nine and you test on the 10th. And then you repeat this process for each of the, of, of the people. So each person is in the test data only once. And then you report the, the average uh, at the end. So wh why is this needed? Because uh, you imagine that your model that you will create will be used in practice. For example, in Apple Watch, for example, you work for Apple, you create the activity recognition model. But it, this model will be tested or evaluated tested but evaluate in, in, in practice by people which are not in the trained data so this, this is fair technique how to how to evaluate your for your data then we did this uh, yeah at the, at the bottom you will see uh, sorry uh, usually a reference to to the study that that is doing so th this is one of our studies done in 2015 where we collected uh, really huge data. I mean, we, we analyzed one, four label data sets, no, three label data sets, JSI, Faculty of Sports and Opportunity, and one real life study. This real life is a problem because we do not have the labels, but here we can report what is the accuracy or F1 score or, or whatever. And, and actually we analyzed, I don't know, 100, uh, 169 million data samples, which is around 3 million data instances. And it was a good training for us to, to, to do this exercise uh, in, the, in, in this paper. So this is one of the results that we got. So uh, which sensor location is, is the best and which of the machine learning models is the best. So here you can see that the random forest outperforms clearly all of, all of the rest. And also the, the belt was quite nice. The, the tie left, which this is actually left pocket in the trousers. The ankle is also left. And also the left side was better compared to the right because most of the people were right-handed. So less movements, more accurate predictions, that, that kind of, especially for the static activities. Um, then, now uh, we did another study, which was before the, the one with the, that I showed earlier. So it's, it's not chrono chronological. 
we wanted to participate in a uh, machine learning competition. It was activity, activity recognition competition. And we had this model, which was, I don't know, working quite good. But we were, because it's, a, it's, it's machine learning, it's random forest. So random forest, to be honest, is, is killer in, in uh, uh, activity recognition and this kind of sensor classification data. So ensembles, random forest is usually really good. Uh, I mean, super heavy deep learning can sometimes even perform poorer compared to, to simple random forest. So uh, random forest was quite good, near perfect accuracy. Don't, don't look at this accuracy, it's, it's really high. It depends on the data set that you have. So for this competition, we had really clean and nicely collected data set. But we said, we are not sure how it will behave on the, at the competition. So we said, okay, let, let's, let's incorporate some expert rules, which are again, some uh, features that we believe we understand and we are incorporating in some if-then rules. So it was a combination between expert rules and machine learning. This data mining is used because the conference was data mining conference. So machine learning and expert tools. And this is the architecture that we created. So it was uh, several random forest, two, two random forest algorithms. So the first one recognized cycling and other. Then actually what we wanted to achieve was to create rules for this simple and non, not dynamic activities. So when you're lying, you're still. When you're sitting, you're still. When you're bending also, you're kind of still. So we described these features using some angles uh, uh, in, in the acceleration. And then at the end, we had uh, walking and standing. And they, this improved the results a little bit, but it was not that improved for, I don't know, 0.5 uh, percentage points. The, 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 the advantage was that we better understood what will happen here, especially in this part, in this part here. And we actually won this activity recognition competition. So this was our first validation that what we are doing at the Jozef Stefan Institute is, is quite good, top, top level. So this was back in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And we, we achieved really good results compared to the other competitors and also compared to the previous uh, year's competition. Actually, this is the equipment. So it's only two sensors. Uh, that we gave to this lady here, and she was wearing the equipment and uh, the performing different activities in this in this apartment. And our system was recognizing that in in real time. Uh, then I'll go to the next. I mean, once uh, you have this baseline, you you you're kind of uh, this architecture here. It looks kind of complex, but it's not something that we just came up in a, in a few days or whatever. It, it was a lot of testing and trial and error. So th this was architecture developed uh, by all these people here. Uh, and the idea was to create a model that will recognize activities from glasses, so from head movements. And these were the activities here. So as you can see, they're quite similar. For example, you have sitting on a sofa, sitting on a sofa using smartphone, chair, stationary. So these are all sittings. So we created a traditional pi pipeline and it didn't work or it worked like somewhere 50% F1 score. But then we started to improve and uh, the, the pipeline. So we said, okay, can we analyze and compare the, the signal, the, the raw signal using dynamic time warping? Can we incorporate also k-nearest neighbors here? So we, we tested lots of different ideas and this is the final one that gave us around 67% F1 score. So it's an ensemble of, and, voting, and voting scheme. And actually we, we won this competition and we, we won another one the, the same year. So this was our lucky year in 2019. Uh, this one is with the head movement, and this one was uh, different. I think it, it, it had around six or seven accelerometers. And what I'm really proud of is that in both of these studies, uh, students of mine in, in, at the Faculty of Electrical Engineering and Information Technologies 
were part of it. They were building the ideas. They were developing the, the algorithms, which, which was uh, amazing success, especially for undergrad students. Uh, now, the next net question that comes to mind when we talk about machine learning. So nowadays it's impossible to publish something about machine learning if it's not deep learning, or at least to show that deep learning does not work and to show experimentally. So the, it is similar case also in activity recognition. But I'll be honest with you, Random Forest is really good. Random Forest and good features, experienced people uh, that work with, with activity recognition is really difficult to, to beat. Of course, deep learning, uh, it's, it's much more powerful, right? And you can always, in a way, overfit and you can show better results. But uh, if, you, if you give me two models, deep learning and random forest, and, they, and if the deep learning is slightly better, I'll always go for the, for the random forest. Uh, because with deep learning, as I said, they are more prone to, to, to overfitting especially if you have the data set, the whole data set at your at, at, at disposal. So you, you should be really, really careful. Uh, so we also tried back in 2016, uh, some deep learning with convolutional neural networks and LSTM. So the idea is how to uh, substitute all these steps with deep learning. So it, it is in theory, yes, in practice, no. So still you have segmentation, still you have data pre-processing, feature extraction, maybe, maybe not. But if you have feature extraction, then maybe you, you do not need deep learning. So the idea with deep learning is also to learn uh, some features uh, automatically. So these are the, 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 the initial results that we got. So this is a conference a workshop paper. So it's, it was not like some journal that we investigate a lot, but it showed that, yeah, deep learning has a potential convolutional neural networks uh since then i mean deep learning improved a lot but as you can see here you will get some activities with zero and this is not the case when you have random forest in a way it's more 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 robust or this one with a eight percentage points so in 2016, this is one of the really early papers that showed the real potential of deep learning. So uh, this paper is, is uh, published by uh, Francisco and Rogan. Uh, it's deep convolutional and LSTM recurrent neural network. So conv-LSTM network. So this is the, the, the architecture that they proposed and they showed that it works really well. So nowadays people, when, when they do activity recognition, they, they use this kind of architectures or, or at least for, for comparison. Uh, this is also a nice study where it was shown how it is better to combine the, the, the convolutions because here you have three time series. Do you analyze each of the series with a separate convolution as a separate, uh, to, to apply separate convolutions? Do you combine them as they are here or do you combine multiple centers? So th this is a nice study that showed that uh, sensor-specific normalization is, is, is needed. Hybrid fusion better than early fusion. So that, that, that those kinds of uh, lessons were, were learned from, from this, this paper. Okay, what are the, the, the main challenges uh, in activity recognition using accelerometers? So the, all the models rely a lot on the rotation and orientation of the sensor. So if, if, if you, for example, if this is the sensor, if I collected the, uh, uh, in the data set, if the person was wearing the sensor like this, but then I have another person where the sensor is rotated a little bit, that's completely different data and the, the model will fail. So this, this is a huge problem. So you have to assume perfect rotation uh, and orientation of the sensor when used in practice, which is impossible. So we kind of proposed a partial solution to this one using some rotation matrices. Uh, I, have a, I have a slide over this, I'll, I'll show it uh, in a few seconds. Then 
this is also aligned with the previous sensor dependent model. So my model is developed on one accelerometer, but what to do on another accelerometer? So it, it depends how, how uh, detailed you want to go. So for example, how the Google activity recognition works, it, it is not relying too much on seconds of data. So it's, 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 more like in this hour you were walking for, for this much, or in this hour you were driving your car for this much. And also the GPS sensor is, 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 is used in, the, in, that, in that case. But once you go deep into the accelerometer, this can be a problem. One kind of accelerometer, another kind of uh, accelerometer. Potential solution here is, I don't know, train a super model and then apply transfer learning or, or, or multitask learning. Then unknown number of activities. So you can say my model recognizes 10 activities and it's, it's trained on 10 activities, but in, in theory, you can have new activities which are not in the training data. Then what do you do with this kind of activity? I'll, I'll show one study that we did with unsupervised activity discovery. Lots of individual studies, lots of models. Can we create one general model for, for human activity recognition? Uh, we are working with, with one student of uh, mine or partially mine on this kind of idea, but it's taking time. So to create an image uh, similar to the image net models that we have deep learning models for, for images. Uh, <clears throat> data collection, data augmentation is a problem by itself. So uh, I'm not sure if Orhan is here, but he has a nice idea about how to use virtual simulations. So in 3D software to create a human and then perform different activities in the virtual simulation and then use that data, somehow extract the acceler acceleration data to train the, the models. Um, okay, I will not go into details, but this is the problem that I explained. So this is a, let's say, perfect vertical orientation of the sensor. But what if the orientation in, in real life when the person is sitting is like this? So you can use rotation matrices, which are quite uh, known in, in, in linear, linear algebra. So we applied that one. It, it, it kind of worked automatically in, in real time. And we got real improvement from, I don't know, for the sitting activity from 28 to, to 18. Then the transfer learning is, is really huge. And I, I'm really optimistic about this study. Stefan is uh, Kalabakov, which is currently at Jozef Stefan Institute, is working on, on this one how to, to combine different data sets, how to create this super model that can be uh, applied on, on different data sets. So imagine you have a, mod, a model trained on 10 data sets, and then you use that model on your data set, which is a small data set. So typical transfer learning, transfer learning scenario. We, we have some initial results in Informatica. He's currently preparing his master thesis on this one. So. It's, it's an interesting study. Uh, also, we, we developed this data augmentation technique, which is uh, explained in this, in this uh, paper here. Uh, so in the data set, you have the, let's say the perfect orientation, but you can soft uh, using yeah, rotation matrices, uh, rotate the sensor, not physically, but uh, in, in data set manner. So rotate the sensor by one degree, left and right, two degrees, four degrees, five degrees, and this way to augment your data set and create more robust, robust model. model. Uh, unsupervised activity discovery, this was part of my uh, postdoc at, at uh, UK together with, with, with uh, Rogan. We created this temporal clustering, online clustering, uh, algorithm. So the idea is, so it, 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 let's assume that these are the activities here. And if you put them in a feature space, you cannot, I mean, this is a, a school uh, basic example. You cannot separate, for example, these two activities. But activ the activities have this temporal behavior, right? They happen sometime. I mean, I'm walking, then I'm lying, then I'm uh, walking again, and they usually happen Sometime. And if, if you include the time component there, you can see that, I don't know, this was walking and this is potentially another walking. And this is, I don't know, sitting. So th this is a lightweight in a way, uh, online clustering algorithm that showed 
really, really interesting results. And it got uh, media attention when I was there. We, I also gave some press conferences. It, it aligned well with some uh, innovation festival that they have that they had in in Brighton. So this kind of uh, titles in the media, uh, I, I read this kind of titles the next day when I when I woke up. A new algorithm will allow smartwatches to learn and monitor your every move, uh, which is not completely correct, but it's something that that uh, how media perceives uh, research and AI in general. Uh, Simon, uh, Simon Stankowski is another student of mine. I, uh, I'm his uh, co-supervisor. Mitya is uh, his uh, supervisor. He's doing eating, de eating detection. So can you recognize what, uh, when the person is sitting and also what kind of uh, cutlery the person is using? And you can see that by some smart uh, feature engineering and also some smart data selection here, which is a problem by itself. And here actually he is using deep learning, even though these are uh, random forest trees. Uh, you can predict uh, the, the whole day recordings that, that I don't know, I was uh, eating using a spoon, a fork, a hand and, and, and similar. And the other application, this is a huge data set. It's called SHL, so Sussex Huawei Locomotion Dataset. And I was working when I was in UK on this one. We were collecting it, and then we are organizing actually annual competition on competitions on, on this one, uh, which are part of, of, of the Ubicom uh, conference. So basically, we have more than 700 hours of smartphone data all the possible sensor data that you can find in a smartphone is logged into this into this data set and you have different kind of transportation activities uh, walking run bike bus car train subway uh, it, it is publicly available data set or at least parts of it because we are organizing competitions we cannot give access to the whole data set at once and this is these are some statistics where the person we have three people uh, going around London, Brighton, one of them went even to, to, to Liverpool, collecting data with uh, smartphones. Okay, so this is summarization of the publications on activity recognition. Uh, okay, now let's forget a little bit about activity recognition and go for fall detection. So the problem with falls is that people fall. The, the older they get, they, they fall more often. The problem is that some of these falls require medical attention. So a smartwatch to, to call the neighbor or some service that the person has, has fallen. So what we did here, uh, I'm not sure if I have enough time to show some of this, but this is me performing the, the fall. So, we collect, again, data collection for fault detection is problem by itself. How to collect good data using accelerometers here that later you can develop models. So, so this is fainting, like slowly falling uh, here. Then you have jumping in bed. So th this should give us a false positive if, you re if we rely completely on, on, on accelerations. So you define the problem, you collect the data, and then you perform all this kind of analysis. What sensor location is the best? Uh, what is the accuracy? How many false positives you will have? This is a binary problem here, fall or not fall. So this is a typical fall acceleration pattern. And this is what we are analyzing to detect the fall. And here you can see a lot of different approaches that, that we took while developing this uh, fall detection. So, uh, algorithm that uh, analyzes only, only this acceleration pattern, that analyzes some sensor orientation, if the person is moving or not, activities completely based on machine learning. So again, you equip the person with all these sensors and then you perform the falls and you get the data and then you perform the data analysis, machine learning rules, feature engineering. And this is one of the, the architectures that, that we used. 
So it, we had inertial data, the accelerometer, and also location data. So this system here gave us the 3D coordinates of the, of the person. And we have here, this is activity recognition model. So this is a machine learning model, which recognizes the person's activity. And this is input to this context-based reasoning here. So the activity, the location, the movement, threshold-based acceleration, they are all combined and using some intelligent reasoning to, to detect if the person has fallen, fallen or not. And th this graph here shows that our system, I mean, that's the goal of every paper and every study, but your algorithm, algorithm is the best. And here you can see that the green line achieves the, 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 best, the best results, especially when uh, during the falls. So these here are non-fall, but difficult events, like, I don't know, falling into the bed, jumping into the bed, and non-falls normal, normal activities. Uh, this is also a nice plot that shows how to combine the different inertial sensors and location tags. And you can see that using one inertial and one location tag is enough to, to, to have, let's say, around 97% uh, accuracy or F1 spot. In this case, it was it was accuracy. Then we continued with this study in the in life project, which was a Horizon 2020 project, where we said let's put this into a smartwatch. So to develop a prototype smartwatch that, when a fault is detected, it will inform uh, uh, a call service. Also, it will inform uh, some web portal, which it, it will send an SMS, actually. The idea is to work, uh, also the watch to, set, to work outside. And we did that. We developed the, the, the algorithm. It was, so we had kind of ready algorithm from 2011 or 12, when nobody was talking about uh, smart smartwatch-based uh, fall detection. But, uh, and now we have, Apple Watch, uh, which sells this kind of fall detection algorithm as a really advanced feature. And it detects quite well and the media coverage is, is amazing. So, but we had the algorithm even before that, but we were not kind of business oriented. So researchers are not a good businessmen. So unfortunately, yeah, now Apple is dominating this, this, this market. Unfortunately for us, fortunately for the society, we have a smartwatch that can uh, detect falls and uh, dial uh, for, for help. Uh, this is a recent study done by Ivana uh, Kiprianovska for her master thesis. Uh, so yeah, you can detect fall, but after it happens, after the person is, is injured potentially. But can we detect uh, a risk factor of potentially the person falling. So it, it has been shown that for older people, they usually, before the start to fall, they have a kind of gait of abnormalities. So we said, okay, can we use a smartwatch and accelerometer, especially accelerometer, also gyroscope and uh, magnetometer, compass sensor, to, to detect if the, the, the walking is normal or, or abnormal. And this will be an indication that fall will potentially happen. And this was also a really nice study that Ivana did uh, in a few months. I, I was uh, positively surprised by, by her work ethic. Uh, and she showed that it is possible to detect normal and abnormal walking with uh, approximately 90% uh, accuracy with, with using some deep learning architecture. Here, I mean, uh, you have the paper here, you can always go and check the, the details. I have two, two more case studies. Uh, I, I'm aware that I'm running out of time, so it will be quickly going through them. But uh, if you have a question, please, please feel free to, to ask. The next one is, can we detect how many calories I'm burning during the everyday activity? So it was a natural continuation of the activity recognition. Uh, so using wearables, a smartwatch or whatever, can we detect how many calories I spent during the uh, sitting exercise, <laughs> sitting exercise, walking, cycling or whatever. And with it, this is actually a machine learning model 
uh, a regression model at the end of the day. This is the architecture that we proposed. This was the core of my PhD thesis. It, it is context-based ensembles of multiple sensors. So how to combine these different sensors in a context manner in order to better estimate about the user, in this case, about the, the energy expenditure. And of course, we showed that our proposed algorithm is the, is the best. We, we did a thorough evaluation here. We compared to some devices uh, that are present at the market. So here, the lower is better. The, the ensemble is our, our approach. Now, the final thing that I'll talk about is the next step. Can we detect the arousal, the, the valence, positive or negative feeling that we have for something or the stress of the, of the person or the expressions that the person is, is making, smiling or whatever, using again wearables. So again, machine learning model to recognize all these different states of the, of the users, of the user. So uh, yeah, PPG, it's, it's, a, it's a sensor that measures the heart activity. IMU is the accelerometer gyroscope. EMG is a sensor that measures the muscle activity. EDA is a sensor that measure, measures the, the sweating rate, how much the person is, is, is sweating. And eye tracking, I'll mention why it is interesting. This collaboration that we have with, with Amtec Labs, uh, it's a UK company that is selling this mask, which can be worn on the, on the, on the face. And it is installed on a virtual reality device. And actually you, you have also input from the eye tracking if the virtual reality device has this, has this option. Uh, let me first start with the, with the stress. Uh, so to detect if the stress is low, medium or high. So I will not go into the definition of the stress. It's a problem. There is no strict definition of what is stress. And that's why it's even more challenging to detect compared to activities or energy expenditure and similar. So the ground truth is kind of not perfect in this scenario. And also the results are much, much lower compared to activity recognition. So this is one study that actually Martin, my, my brother, has designed. And this is me solving some mathematical uh, problem. And he's timing that. And there is also a reward motivation behind the study. Why? Because people are more, more stressed when they, they compete. So it's, it's a competition. Who will finish first and most accurate, that kind of thing. And we are wearing all these different sensors on, on our, even on my head. Uh, some wristband here. Also, I think we have a Zephyr sensor on uh, as a chest strap. And you are measuring all these sensors that I, that I have mentioned. And at the end of the day, you want to combine them somehow through some machine learning, some context-based uh, architectures or whatever, and to recognize in real time the, the, what is the stress of the person. So automatic monitoring of the stress of the person. Here we have some interesting results, uh, which look nice, but in reality, or in more not that lab scenarios are... are difficult to, to achieve. So the accuracy around is around 60-70%. Uh, yeah, finally, I'll mention again the, the Amtec Labs. Uh, they are producing this mask. We are developing right now with uh, Ivana and Simon. Uh, and Martin is also uh, helping there how to recognize the expressions of the user. So basically, most of the uh, this sensor here has a sensor that measures a, uh, muscle activation. Using this muscle activation, you can recognize when the person is smiling, frowning, uh, surprise, neutral state, and, 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 and similar. Uh, and actually, uh, I have, yeah, to conclude. Uh, so you should be aware of what's wearable computing, how machine learning is used in wearable computing, activity recognition, fall detection, calorie expenditure estimation, stress arousal balance is the next big thing in, in which there is a lot of activity in the, in the research community. And my final slide is to thank all these people. So it's not that uh, I've done this all by myself. Uh, of course, my, my supervisor for my master and my PhD thesis, Matyash Gams, my co-supervisor, Mitya Lustrek, are the 
special people there uh, from the Joseph Stefan Institute that helped me a lot to, to, to achieve all these uh, interesting studies and to which show me the way in this uh, wearable computing or ambient intelligence or intelligence systems in, in general. And a lot of people, so Stefan is also still there, Bostian, Simon, some people from the University of Sussex, which I collaborated during my postdoc. So Daniel Rogan was my, was my supervisor, Matthias, Lynn, Javier. People from now, uh, from my faculty, which we are collaborating on the White Hill project, Maria, Daniel, Valentin, Dimitar, Anna, Emilia, Boyana. My brother, Martin, which is an uh, amazing researcher, especially in this stress area, arousal balance. Uh, he is currently in uh, Università della Suceria Italiana. Uh, Idea Lab uh, is the, 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 the startup that we have. And uh, together with Ivana and Simon, we are doing this amazing research for, for MTech Labs, where we are collaborating with Charles, Bram, Ify, John, Milky. So that is all from my side. This is my email. If you have any questions, you can ask here or through, through email. Thank you very much, Christian. And I think now uh, we have time for questions and I would like to open the floor um, for questions. So does anyone have a question? You can just open the mic or raise your hand. And come on. Well, I, I will. I'll ask one while people are thinking yeah. about it. So one of the things that you said was uh, that getting to the feature table is the most important thing, and uh, in the, the hardest one. Uh, and also that obviously for, for to get there, you need to get um, uh, a good data set. So one of the things that we are, and we saw your videos like jumping or fainting to the, to the, to the couch. One of the things that, that um, we are seeing is that also a major difficulty in, in having data sets that are well annotated and that have real uh, real life data. Maybe these companies, so we know that companies like Google and Apple are, are being able to get more data than maybe the occasional researcher. And so my question here is, uh, if you feel that this is also one of the, the major issues, so how can we find better methods to get data sets that are representative of real life and more complex? And if you have any ideas on how we could even use these other other sensors and other approaches to get to those data sets. So, um, okay, uh, first with, with the Apple Watch. So right now they sell millions of these device and they actually collect data. It, it's quite easy to get good, uh, true positive, full or false positive. I mean, the, the user will tell you. And, they, they'll improve with time. And sometimes actually you should be brave enough and say, okay, I'll, I'll release this to the beta testers or whatever, but I'll also ask for some feedback. That is possible for false because the user will tell, will inform somehow Apple, this was a false alarm, please do not do this uh, in the future. So some kind of active learning with, with your uh, users. But for, for the activities, it, it might be tricky. Uh, Orhan, uh, which is part of, of our project, it has an interesting idea, which we also had back in 2016, 17, we were proposing this kind of project. Can I create a virtual simulation of a user performing the different activities? And it, it is possible to do that, right? And you can also measure the accelerations of the different limbs of the hand, of the of the leg of the uh, foot or whatever, and use these ac ac virtual accelerations recorded in a virtual reality to train a model that will be applied in a in a in a real world. I mean, this will be amazing, and, and it is possible, especially for the ac accelerations. You, you can they, they will be 
uh, using these simulation tools, you can achieve that. And I hope that Orhan will, will have some advancements in the, this field, I, and it will be nice to, to, to see how this, this ends. And another thing is transfer learning, deep learning. It, it's really not that well exploited in, in this area, wearable computing, because it, it does not work from the beginning as it works with images. So can you combine different data sets? Can, can you, uh, and because there are lots of different activity recognition data sets, I don't know, maybe a hundred or, or something like that, but, but they, they have all their specificity. If model train on one can, will not work on another one. So these are my, my, my thoughts on this subject. Thank you. So do you have more questions? Any doubts? Any... Let's give a few more seconds. Usually people are shy. <laughs> I can ask some of the people that I have mentioned in the. <laughs> okay, I will join the conversation. Oh, great. Hi, Christian. Hi. Uh, I would like to ask one question about uh, the commer commerci commercialization of the algorithms. You mentioned that now you're working on uh, algorithm for stress and detecting uh, uh, this kind of algorithms. Is there any commercial algorithm right now? Because as, a, as far as we know now, uh, Apple is uh, introduced or actually it was introduced uh, in the past, uh, this fall detection algorithm. Is there any uh, commercial algorithm that you can find right now for detecting stress or uh, I don't know which was the other four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's focus yeah. on stress. I'll, I'll cover them, yeah. So yeah. Th th thanks for the, for the question. Uh, the short answer is yes, there is. So uh, I'm not sure if Apple has stress detector, but for example, Garmin is having this service. Some, I think some of the Samsung smartwatches are detecting also this one. Uh, but the problem is that with stress, it, it does not work really well. And with stress, you are entering in this medical domain. And I'm not sure how these algorithms will be accepted by the public. If it detects wrong stress, it will make you even more stressed, even though you are not stressed. So all these algorithms, which are kind of analyzing the heart uh, activity data, have their ethical problem of accepting from uh, from the from the people from the audience. But uh, we'll see. I mean, stress detection, arousal, balance—it's it's a new 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 area. Even though there are commercial applications, but they are not perfect, and the accuracy there is really low. So there is a huge room for improvement. Okay, thank you, Christian. I can ask a more technical question. Another question, Daniel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, about the rotation matrices. Um, where do you use it? In, in which phase? In the pre-processing phase or during uh, the, the detection phase? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Maybe you can uh, add yeah. some more details on, on that part. How do you use yeah. the rotation? In, in the pre-processing phase. In the pre-processing. So you before the feature extraction. Okay. So okay. you are correcting the the orientation of the sensor virtually before you do the feature extraction. So okay. your features in the training set are like for, for sensor orientated like, like this, but in, in the real life, it is like this. And you can detect what is the angle between this and this. And once you detect it, you can rotate uh, rotate the data. And you do but this before feature extraction. Uh, what if you take the time, uh, time into account? Uh, it changes the, the rotation during time. Yeah, so that, that's another another issue. In our experiments, we assumed I have a calibration phase where, where phase when when I detect when the person is I don't know sitting, and then I say okay, I'll calculate the inclination angle and then rotate the, the all the sensor data from this point on. 
but you're right, this can change. So yeah, yeah. it will have to probably recal- recalibrate, recalibrate after a while. And there, there are ideas how, how to do it. So ev- on every sitting activity, you recalibrate. On every standing activity, on every still activity, you recalibrate. Yeah, uh, like an adaptive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Thank you. But it's, it, it is a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's not that well exploited in, in practice. I have some ideas we can probably discuss yeah. offline here. Thanks. Thank you. Do you have more? I have one. Uh, yeah. And uh, when you when you're talking about considering time uh, to distinguish between classes in uh, the walking, sitting, adding another dimension. So you consider time, but you don't. Do you consider the possible sequence like a chain of events between those classes or not? So the, or they are independent. Those 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 classes. So. I don't know if I'm if I'm uh, I, 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 uh, the yeah for example you cannot go from walking into lying without going through directly another, without yeah. going in something yeah. Yeah, as a state machine yeah 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 actually uh, we did a lot of hidden mark of models yeah, uh, for this yeah so to, thoughts. yeah so to 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 define the state that you in order for, for you to go from walking to lying, there has to be a transition uh, and that kind of uh, stuff. And that, that is, sometimes it gives some improvements. So it is as a, used as a post-processing uh, step. So you recognize in real time and then you say, Aha, let me correct a little bit. Because <clears throat> usually it happens, walk, 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 then stand stand walk walk stand stand if it's on a second interval but you know those standings are because are actually walking i mean in, in theory in practice they can be standing i'm walking a little bit and then i'm kind of standing and I'm continuing but they are labeled walking and, and and your machine learning model is is expecting walking so this is also a problem with the labels and yeah. hidden markov models and those kind of methods that use this state can correct those uh, small uh, uh, issues. Uh, but the, the complexity that it adds on the, on the, on the method, sometimes it's not worth it. Yeah. And, and I would say that uh, some deep learning approaches will already look at the, those kind of transitions, right? Because they have some memory. Yeah. So yeah. this conf LSTM architecture yeah. that it's Rogan suggested in 2016 is using the LSTM. So yeah. the idea of adding the LSTM was that, that there is a time continuum with the, with the activities. Yeah, good. Thank you. Mm. Nina. Uh, yeah. Hi. Hello. Christian, thank you. Hi. Interesting. Um, I will just pick up where Daniel left off, I think, with the rotations. Um, so uh, you you're the expert there. So <laughs> any input yeah, from you no. is, is welcome. Yeah, this is this is what I was wondering. So in case, of course, that you have this um, pure gravitational ac- acceleration, it it is very direct how to get the the um, angles. But in case you don't, so you only have the gravitation. I mean, just the acceleration direct. The, the uh, linear sensor. acceleration. Yeah. No, or not the linear, just what you get directly from the um, from the row acceleration. How do you deal with this? Because the acceleration sometimes wears much more information than just the angles with some fast movements, with some I don't know if 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 I made myself clear. Because this is something, yeah. So how how do you deal with this? So in the raw accelerometer data, you have the gravity. So yes. by default, yes. you have the gravity. You have the gravity and something else. Yeah. So this yeah. something else. So how do you deal with this something else? This is. Yeah, um, that's. Do you, I mean, you probably, I, I guess it's 
I mean, is it uh, the the some low filtering done or on the acceleration? Because we also did this. I know that with the ACE, mm -hmm. SHL, you actually provided yeah. the even the um, the quaternions and everything. But with the when you get the raw data, it's it's sometimes I don't know. I, I so we usually also go with the acceleration. But I guess some sensor fusion at this point, combining with the gyroscopes or something, um, is maybe oh. a good thing to to be done because the the acceleration sometimes wears just a little bit more. So when just rotating directly from acceleration, yeah. it could be just a little bit, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's it's a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I haven't investigated in in so many details. I've, mm -hmm. I've done it only on the, on, the, on the accelerometer signal. And I, I, when I was doing that for my master thesis first, uh, it, it was not as simple as it is in theory. The results were not as I expected. And I can assume it's uh, the reasons, some of the reasons you have mentioned them uh, now. So, so it's uh, something that it has to be further researched. Further. You know? No, yeah. thank you. But it was really interesting. So thank you. So I think we are wrapping up. And uh, let me thank Christian for uh, the presentation and uh, for presenting uh, all this wonderful work. Uh, a lot of, well, it, I, I don't need to tell, but uh, the words that you want uh, show uh, that the work is indeed um relevant so we are continuing with these seminars and so i, I welcome everyone you will receive uh, well the announcements of the other seminars and you can check the white health web page for other events that we are organizing and to engage with uh, what this consortium is doing thank you for coming and see you next time thank you for coming to the seminar yeah. Also, these sessions are recorded and we publish uh, the videos on YouTube uh, and also a podcast. And so you can get to them through our webpage or social media uh, webpage. So thank you and good afternoon. Bye-bye.